Welcome to this clinical law briefing. My name is Robert Wheeler. I work in Southampton as a children's surgeon and clinical lawyer and hope this podcast concerning a legal aspect of clinical life will interest you. This briefing concerns unfounded challenges to clinical decisions. Mr R.S. was in his middle age when, in November 2020, he suffered 45 minutes of cardiac standstill. Five weeks later, he remained in a coma. All involved in his case accepted that he would never recover beyond a low-level, minimally conscious state. Mr R.S. was born in Poland and raised as a Catholic. He moved to England 17 years ago, married, had three children. Since his marriage, a deep rift had developed between R.S. and his mother and siblings and niece, his birth family. His case was referred to a court by the Hospital Trust, who sought a declaration that, amongst other things, it was not in R.S.'s best interest to continue to receive clinically assisted nutrition and hydration. This application was supported by his wife, who told the court that her husband would not want to live in his current condition. She recalled him saying that he would not want to be kept alive if he was beyond saving. The application was opposed by his birth family, their opposition largely founded in RS's religious faith, his previous adherence to the tenets of Catholicism and their relevance in these circumstances. They asserted that the preservation of his life would outweigh all other factors in RS's thinking. The court placed much greater weight on R.S.'s wife's evidence, not least because she had known him so much better than anybody else. The judge did not accept that R.S.'s religious beliefs were misrepresented by his wife's evidence, and it did not follow from his beliefs that he would wish to be kept alive in a coma or a vegetative or minimally conscious state. Accordingly, the court made the declaration sought by the trust and the hospital then withdrew clinically assisted nutrition and hydration, commencing palliative care to maintain RS's dignity and ensure there was no unnecessary suffering. Eight days later, on Christmas Eve, the birth family sought permission to appeal this decision. No challenge was made to contend that the judge's decision was wrong or to the medical consensus agreed between the trust and the birth family's experts on prognosis. The core submission was that the decision was unjust because there had been insufficient judicial inquiry into the influence that RS's Catholic faith would have had on how he would have wanted to be treated. Although the new court found no arguable case that the original judge's decision was unjust and refused permission to appeal, the following day the birth family, having exhausted English legal avenues, applied to the European Court of Human Rights. This was refused. A further application to the Court of Human Rights was made four days later, and again refused. This legal manoeuvring was not victim-free. Each time further reference was made to any court, the original declaration to cease RS's nutrition and hydration and commence palliative care was reversed, albeit temporarily. Following these first four applications, the birth family arranged for covert video filming of RS in hospital, obtaining three minutes of footage duping his wife 
into claiming that the purpose of their hospital visit was to say goodbye. They also arranged for medical evidence to support the contention that R.S. might yet recover and that he should be moved to Poland for further treatment. The evidence to support this proposal was given by a doctor who had never seen any written clinical records, nor spoken to any member of the clinical team, seen any imaging or EEGs, examined the patient, or read any previous judgments referring to RS. The judge felt unable to place any weight in the resulting report, and held that there was no basis to change his original decision. He unhesitatingly rejected the suggestion that RS should be moved overseas, for several good reasons. The legal story appears to have closed after a final hearing of the Court of Appeal, where the birth family sought to overturn the previous decision. The Court of Appeal found no flaw in judicial reasoning and deplored the disrespectful, underhand duplicity employed by the birth family in obtaining covert video recording. The court re-examined the birth family's medical evidence and found that it, and the court's words, lacked every characteristic of credible evidence, rejecting it as effectively worthless. More significantly, the appeal court explicitly noted that the measures employed by the birth family must not be allowed to distract attention from the wishes and feelings of R.S. himself, as found by the court, or from the plight of his wife and children who had to endure the multiple proceedings in addition to the loss of a husband and father from their daily lives. In the concluding words of Lady Justice King, it is difficult to imagine a greater assault upon the dignity of this man. To have had his clinically assisted nutrition and hydration withdrawn and reinstated on three separate occasions. Each reinstatement has required invasive treatment and the most recent one took place at a time when he was perceived by the medical team as being close to death, a situation which was seen by the birth family as a justification for yet a further application. It is the responsibility of the court to ensure that RS's best interests are not prejudiced by continued, unfounded challenges to lawful decisions. I hope this was useful, but if you would prefer to read rather than to listen to me, by all means look at the Clinical Law website on the UHS webpage, or type Clinical Law into a search engine.